Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Omni Channel Marketer. This is your host, Kate Stevens. Um, today, we have Dylan Siglio, founder and CEO of Chubby Snacks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are Amazing. you? Amazing. Yeah, we're excited. I'm I'm great. I'm having a good day. So <laughs> we were um, we were just chatting about how we both happen to be in a WeWork in like almost duplicate booths here, but you know, actually on other sides of the country, which is it's just pretty funny. It's it's totally founder life, you know, holing up in a in a booth like this. Yep. Yep. This is um, like my duty. So anyway. Seriously. Um, so anyway, Dylan, would love to, you know, start with a little bit more of your background and kind of the, you know, founding story behind Chubby Snacks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to usually kick it off, talk about like my childhood a little bit, just because I think it's very relevant to just why I chose uh, to go after the Uncrustable um, and just kind of like my overall th- thought process to nutrition and like healthy living. Um, so I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood um, right outside New York City. My mom was a personal trainer and spin instructor as a kid. And my friends used to laugh all the time that I had the uh, healthiest snacks and like probably the least exciting pantry on the block, uh, which was so true. I mean, we didn't have a microwave until I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, growing up, it was interesting just because, you know, as I mentioned, it was a blue collar community. And, you know, I can walk to any street corner in my city and there's a bodega or there is a pizza parlor. Um, and as a kid, I didn't really know what entrepreneurs were or what entrepreneurship really stood for. Um, but you know, I appreciated and respected these, you know, small business owners for what they were building. Um, you know, fast forward till I get to high school, I was lucky enough to go to a, uh, prep school in downtown Jersey city. Um, but it was there where I started meeting all these kids from the suburbs of New Jersey. And most of their parents were very successful, mostly working on, uh, wall street or in the finance world. And so very quickly, it became obvious that like the way to become successful is to kind of stay on this like straight and narrow path of graduate from prep, go to a good college, get a finance degree, work on Wall Street. Um, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. Uh, things didn't really turn out that way for me. Um, you know, I, I went through some things with just family and ultimately just didn't do that great in school. Um, I actually have my SAT score tattooed on my wrist, which is kind of weird, but uh, also significant, obviously. Um, that's another story. Uh so I, I ended up just going through like finding ways to make, get my way through like the back door. Um, and so I went to junior college. I ended up doing pretty well there. Uh, and that opened up the opportunity to go to USC out in Los Angeles. And so I made the big trip. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. Uh, I got out to USC and I started meeting all these kids that were, you know, bootstrapping themselves with these side projects of either selling beanies out of their backpack, T-shirts out of the back of their car. or Some of the kids were actually making beats and selling them to artists in, in uh, Hollywood, which was really cool. Anyway, that got me really thinking, like, I thought I had really good street smarts. I knew I wasn't very book smart driven, but I knew I could really figure things out and like logistically was always thinking about like my next moves. And so I won't bore you with just like all the little side projects that I did, but one thing led to another and I found myself in digital marketing. Um, And so I was a freelance digital marketer at first and I took a bunch of like backpacking trips across the the world, Southeast Asia and uh, Europe. Um, all of which I was again by myself. So you can imagine what those conversations were like, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Dylan Segley, I'm from Los Angeles and I'm a digital marketer, you know, quote unquote. Um, that led to me picking up clients, um, all in the e-commerce space. And so after all these trips, I felt very re- uh, rejuvenated, but also really, you know, excited about this next chapter of my life. And so slowly but surely I started building out more of a boutique agency. 
Um, I tapped on my now business partner, Brett, to help me build this. Um, and so for the next like four years, this is what we've really focused on. But it was also during this time that I started noticing this crazy trend happening in food and beverage where brands were popping up that were recreating traditional products with elevated nutritionals and better for you ingredients lists. Uh, and that's when I went to the drawing board and started thinking of like all these snacks that I like to eat as a kid. And as a kid, I loved the Uncrustable, um, but because my mom, I never had them in the house. So, you know, there was just like this weird, like, I, th- I thought it was like, oh, maybe I could recreate the Uncrustable with healthy ingredients. And so, you know, I started doing some research. Obviously, the Uncrustables or Smucker is a publicly traded company. So I was able to see their financials and kind of see how well they were dealing with the Uncrustable. And, you know, just to give you a little bit of insights, last year, they did over $500 million in peanut butter jelly sandwich sales. Like 90% of that came from peanut butter grape, peanut butter strawberry. And so I thought the proof is in the pudding. I would utilize my skills as a direct-to-consumer marketer um, and then use that to open up these doors to get into natural grocery stores where it was impermissible for uh, the impossible to sell because of their ingredients. And that's ultimately what I did. I tapped on my brother at first to put together like a fruit-forward jam recipe. Um, I slapped it together with clean nut butter, clean bread, packaged it up, and I walked around Los Angeles to different uh, soccer camps and baseball camps and handed them out to kids and their mom. Um, and immediately people knew exactly what we were doing. They liked the product. And so I tapped on Brett and I was like, Hey man, like, I think I'm on to something here. Like, let's, you know, stop doing marketing and create a peanut butter and jelly empire. So that was kind of how we got into everything. Um, I could stop there if you have any questions, but obviously I could kind of tell you a little bit about more of like after the launch and then kind of where we're at today. Love it. Love that. Like the hustler, like just background, you know, handing out PB and J's to, to parents. Yeah, tell me, tell me about where you are and where you came from. And there's so much on your backstory that I have more questions about, but um, we can. Well, I, I want to keep this pretty high, high level too, but uh, I don't know. I, I just honestly like the my upbringing, just kind of like my journey pre chubby. I think just kind of set the 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 foundation for just like how we kind of move about now, um, which I'm obviously super grateful for, but. But yeah, so ended up launching the business uh, within like 30 days, direct to consumer business. We got hit with a cease and desist, cease and desist from Smuckers, uh, which I've made pretty obvious and clear at this point. Um, we throttled the business for about seven months, uh, then relaunched with the Cloud Shape as well as rebranded ourselves too, um, all direct consumer still. And that's really when like things really started hitting a stride. Um, we just saw a lot of like people very interested in what we were doing. Um, and so that first so year we we're all actually, dry- yeah, no, no, I'm so curious in that cease and desist because, yeah. um, I think that like, obviously this is a healthier version of that product. You've been very, very clear. How did you think about that as a business? And like, did, did you get an attorney? Did you, it, it sounded like you slowed down for a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't have much money at all. I, I, you know, I was super naive getting into this. I figured we were going to jump into a deep part of the pool and just, tread water until we had to, you know, we figured it out essentially. And so that was kind of like how things started. Uh, and so I launched with the circle shaped sandwich unbeknownst to me and my team, we didn't know that Uncrustables had a, or Smucker had a patent or a trademark on a circle shaped sandwich. They do. Uh, I found that out obviously the hard way. Uh, so at first it was like, you know, put all my money into this. I'm like, they're telling, they're pretty much telling me I'm a criminal. Uh, they have to shut my doors and everything that I'm doing down. Um, and so that, I mean, after the dust settled, like I quickly realized that this was a, a good thing. And, um, after hiring a, uh, IP attorney, they told us like either you could fight them in court for this, or you could just change your shape. And so we took that as obviously as an opportunity to change our shape. There's, I didn't have the funds to be able to compete against them in court. 
And so, yeah, for the next seven months, I essentially had to like sell like under the radar um, just to get rid of like the packaging materials that we had and continue to like showcase that, you know, we have opportunity. Um, and it took about seven months before we could like really reshape ourselves and then relaunch ourselves. Um, and mind physically you, like, re- physically reshape. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're cloud cloud now. Uh and we kind of took a page out of their book. We have a trademark on the cloud shape sandwich now too. So uh pretty excited about that. Cool. Okay. Thank you for I mean, I, th- I think that's a super interesting part of your background. Okay. So you're saying first year after that, you've you've transitioned to shape now. Then what? Yep. So like February 2021, we relaunched the, the cloud shape sandwich. Um, all the rest of the year was really just focused on driving like uh, brand and like getting trial out there through direct to consumer uh, because we knew that if we built a good enough brand online, we'd be able to leverage that to open up opportunities to get into retail. And so at the end of 21, Whole Foods came knocking on our door, asked us to launch with them. We launched with them into 35 doors, organically grew into the rest of the SOPAC region. Um, and so 2022, the start of that, our goal was really just to start uh, kind of flipped our whole business model upside down and just said, we're going after retail. And so it, it was tough because, you know, we were selling sandwiches online for $4 per sandwich plus shipping. And then we had to switch over into retail where we were selling to Unify or Kehi for $1.50 per sandwich. So we chopped our, you know, our, our revenue in half pretty much. Um, but again, it was strategic. We know that the success of this business and the future of this business lies in retail um, more so than direct to consumer. Don't get me wrong. There's obviously that component to it as well. But, you know, we're expecting to do like 80 to 90% of our, our volume in retail post any other channel. And you think that's just the nature of the CPG industry, that that's where you need to be for your customers? Like, how do you think about that makeup, especially coming from the background as a digital marketer that, you know, knows that digital ecosystem so well? Totally. Uh, Yeah. I mean, honestly, like we're a frozen product. It's expensive to ship boxes to people's doorsteps. And then there's also a lot of variabilities that come to play, too. Uh, Yeah, I think we do a good job at uh, packaging things correctly, but you know, if you leave your package out on your porch during the summer for, you know, two, two hours too long, you know, our, our product's going to spoil. And then what happens, right? Then I'm, you know, dealing with the returns or an angry customer potentially. Uh, so with that being said, and then also just kind of looking at the business model that Smucker's created, they clearly going after, you know, retail for a reason. It's because that's where they're su- succeeding at. So uh, we're just, you know, I'm trying to recreate the wheel in terms of what we're providing in terms of nutrition, but not create recreating the wheel in terms of the overall business model. Uh, but having said that, there are opportunities for us to be able to be direct to consumer. And we have a strong, or at least we've had a strong uh, uh, subscription customer base, uh, direct to consumer. We've since had to like turn off direct to consumer just to fulfill our relationships at retail. Um, but we've had a strong D2C business, which makes us think that obviously we can continue down that path, obviously. Um, and then obviously with like uh, Amazon of the worlds, as well as different e-tailers, there's a lot of opportunity for us to continue to spread ourselves across different channels, uh, specifically through uh, direct consumer. Cool. So what you said, you know, really rang, rang a bell with me around like not recreating the wheel with a business model that works. Um, so I'd love to hear your perspective. I, it's something that we talk a lot, a lot about um, internally at, at our company. It's like, let's use playbooks that work. So I'd love to hear, you know, maybe that's kind of the retail first. I'd love to hear where you think um, you're like, listen, this is what we could just take from Smuckers versus like, this is how we're different and, you know, how we're going to get a different share of the pie or how you think about that. Totally. 
Yeah. Well, what I'll say is there's absolutely no playbook. And I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Um, this is a master's degree on steroids and you can never tell me otherwise. Uh, every day you wake up and you go into the office or whatever, you start your work day and you're expecting to put out fires and see something that you didn't see the day before. Uh, which is, you know, it's scary, but it's also incredibly motivating and exciting too. Uh, but, uh, I'll digress. Um, to answer your question. Um, so I, I think for us, like in terms of like recreating the wheel or lack thereof, um, obviously the nutrition play, play comes into it. And I think for us, like, you know, we've studied a lot of what the uncrossables has done and they really take a lot of focus into the individual, um, ingredients within their product, uh, bread being the most, uh, um, most difficult to work with. And so, you know, I think for us, like we thought there was a differentiation opportunity with our jam and making that proprietary to what we wanted. Um, nut butters are pretty standard across the board. So, you know, we focus on just like utilizing clean nut butters. Um, and there's a lot of sources out there for us to be able to utilize. Um, and then bread, we want to make sure that we have fresh bread delivered every single day. So our Anytime we move into a new manufacturer, our focus is figuring out where that closest bread source is going to be um, and then creating a partnership with them. So uh, and that kind of packed up a uh, packaged up into a final product creates this, you know, better for you alternative um, without really jeopardizing, uh, I, I guess, the model that we're trying to create in terms of like, you know, retail to direct consumer. So something that I haven't gone into in um, in this podcast yet is kind of how that distributor model works and kind of you you referenced your you know you you're selling at a dollar fifty to UNFI UNFI can you kind of talk through a little bit more of that process and what that relationship you know tell our listeners who that who that is yeah uh, it's it's kind of tough right because like it's it's one of those chicken or the egg kind of scenarios because. You need to get set up into distributors like Unify and Kagi in order to be able to then sell your product to like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts of the world. But you also need to win the business of Sprouts or a Whole Foods in order to be able to get the distribution, right? So a, every distribution center within like Kagi and Unify all have, uh, you, you have to be able to anchor those distribution centers in order to be able to open it up. So say like a, you know, mom and pop five store grocery store really wants to carry your product in Southern California, but that mom and pop shop most likely won't be able to anchor that distribution center in like for Southern California, it's either Chino or Marina Valley. So what you then have to do is figure out how to get that distribution center open. And a lot of times it's going to be these bigger box retailers. And for us, it was Whole Foods. Um, and so uh, it, it, it is very difficult, but there, there are a lot of opportunities to be able to open up these DCs. Um, and, you know, we've kind of gone through the process of it, obviously. Uh, and a lot of that's through trade shows, being able to exhibit there and sample your products to buyers that are walking through, obviously figuring out how to get your foot in the door in terms of like either LinkedIn messaging or cold emailing or even getting a warm intro to a buyer. Uh, they're always going to be sourcing and testing new products. Um, it, it just so happens to just matter whether or not you're hit messaging at the right time and they happen to relate or like your product in some type of way. I think like the difficult part with distribution and uh, retailers is uh, these buyers are, you know, essentially the gatekeepers and uh, oftentimes and not not always, but oftentimes they they make decisions based off of their taste buds opposed to data. Um, and so you kind of have to figure out ways to like maneuver through these types of scenarios because one buyer might be like, oh, my God, I absolutely love you. But the next buyer will say, you know, I don't know, your jam's too sweet or I didn't really like the bread. 
Uh, and it's like, how, how can one buyer tell you yes, because of the data in that one region, but the next buyer tell you no, because their taste buds don't align with the product. Um, so, so those are like difficulties at managing it, but, um, obviously it's like, you, if you know where your success is going to be in retail, you got to figure out any which way to be able to like break down those barriers and figure out a way to get your foot in the door. So, um, you kind of talked about trade shows, you talked about like cold outreach, what are some of the, you know, what's been an effective strategy for you specifically to get in front of these buyers? And, you know, what are what are some of the what are you focused on right now? Yeah, uh, I mean, trade shows by far are the best things for us. I think we do a really good job at presenting um, ourselves at trade shows. I, I'd like to think our brand and our product do a really good job at doing the talking for us. But if you then come to our booth and you get to meet myself, John and Brett, and we're just over there slinging PB&Js and having a good time and we get some small chit chat, uh, I think we really get to showcase our personalities behind the brand, um, which I think then kind of relates to a lot of the buyers. Uh, and, you know, you kind of just create this rapport with them, especially if you're going to trade show after trade show, you're, you're seeing them one after the other. And so you don't always expect to get a win in the short game, but you always got to kind of p- p- play and prepare for the long game. Um, and so the more you can stay consistent in front of them, uh, the higher likelihood is that you're going to be able to get into those stores. So what are some, what are some of the big trade shows that are most important for, for your brand? Yeah. So this year specifically, we're focused on Expo West, Expo East. And then outside of those being like the bigger trade shows, uh, we're really focused on our distributor shows. So KE has, you know, two or three shows every year. Unify has two or three shows every year, and they're usually focused in a specific region. So if we know that we just opened up that DC and there's a lot of business to win there, we'll specifically go into that trade show to be able to meet buyers that are going to be, uh, you know, working that region. Great. So like transitioning to a little bit more, I clearly retail is the biggest growth lever, lever for you in the future. I think something that I, you know, heard a lot at Expo West were, okay, now we've we've landed these retail accounts. How do we make sure that we're successful at retail? What are some of the ways that you as a brand have supported your retail accounts and strategies that you've helped drive that retail velocity and, uh, you know, at your retail? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, they say the easiest uh, part of the process is getting yourself on the shelf. Uh, The hardest part is selling, right? And so it's not easy, obviously, especially as a frozen brand, like we can't have like an end cap or display at any grocery store. So it's how can you really get somebody who's walking into a grocery store where there's thousands upon thousands of brands in there and get them to see your product and be like, wow, I'm going to try that for the first time. Uh, It's not easy, especially in the frozen section. I mean, you go into some of the frozen frozen aisles and, you know, the the glass is fogged up and your your product's sitting behind it. There's nothing you can really do about that. But being that I'm a digital marketer, you know, now they think there's enough tools out there to be able to really start bridging the gap between digital and retail. Um, and so we're really leaning into like the like kind of uh, geo-targeting our campaigns and making sure that we're, we're reaching out to consumers that we know that live in a specific area around our grocery stores that we're in and really trying to utilize, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok to be able to drive trial. And then assuming that we could collect their data, we utilize you know, SMS and email to be able to keep uh, up with retention. And there's incentivized programs that we put in there and you know, fun games that we do as well in order to be able to win merch. Um, but a lot of it really is just, oh, sorry, these we work off because um, a lot of it really is just, um, you know, just trying to figure out how you can, you know, 
make it as easy and convenient as possible for somebody to go into the grocery store and and, and try you. Um, and, and that's from the digital way. Uh, obviously, from like a grocery store relationship perspective, you know, we're we're really leaning into demos at new grocery stores that we weren't uh, we launch into merchandising. Obviously, is a big one as well. Making sure that we're building relationships with the store level employees, making sure that we're giving out free product any every time we go through um, merch every now and then too. Um, and really just like showing that we're consistently showing up because we want to, you know, establish good terms with that relationship. And obviously that doesn't really sound scalable and for the most part it's not, but you can kind of pick and choose those battles where you see opportunity, um, especially those high, high turning stores as well. Uh, you obviously want to play that 20, uh, 80, 20 rule game, um, where you're putting a lot of your effort into where you're seeing the success. Makes complete sense. Um, yeah, love music to my ears hearing kind of all of those different methods, you know, obviously omni-channel marketer where we're really focused here on like, what are these creative ways that brands are bridging, you know, the offline and the online and the, you know, the digital and the physical. So, uh, I think your, your background, uh, you, you get it, uh, which is amazing. Sure. Um, I wanted to shift to, um, you know, this topical focus around something that you feel bold or passionate about and, you know, would love to hear why that's important to you. Uh, in regards to the company or just in general? In regards to life. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty passionate about PB&Js. Uh, obviously, uh. it's self But I, no, I mean, honestly, like the, it's it's really difficult. This is, it's, it's not easy doing this. And I think in order to be able to like continue to, uh, build the company and continue to fight through just the, the headwinds, like you have to be passionate about it. Like I, I, you know, we have gone through very tumultuous times and still be, to be able to wake up at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning and, and get out of bed and run to the office at six thirty seven AM, which I'm doing typically every day. Uh, it's difficult. And I think like the fact that we're having so much fun building this and we're constantly learning every day, that really drives a lot of the passion and it, it drives through a lot of the, you know, the turmoil that we deal with here and there. Um, and so, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm passionate about other things. And I think like fitness and like, uh, you know, fitness is probably one of my bigger passions. And I think a lot of it also just kind of weaves through one another and really creates this collective passion for just I guess, you know, kind of always having an edge, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I, I utilize fitness as more so from a mental perspective to make sure that I'm constantly uh, in the right headspace. Uh, I get a lot out of being able to like work out and, you know, eat clean and uh, do different types of like outdoor activities with friends. Um, that really does kind of like balance out my entire life. Um, but again, it also reinforces just like my attitude and my perseverance to what we're doing with chubby sacks yep um and i can attest you know dylan you and i actually met at an event um naturally new york which is an industry event for everyone's benefit um and you were in a cast because you'd recently you know been in a snowboarding accident so i think that like that speaks to the hustle here you are like and the passion you're you know at a like a, an event, a cocktail event in a cast, like there's nothing pleasant about that, like days after surgery. Um, yeah. So then, you know, that speaks to the hustle and the passion that you're speaking to. So I like, you know, can attest, it's not just, you know, not just talking about it. Um, so I appreciate that. <laughs> and then important for me to know, does your mom approve of the ingredient list in Chubby Snacks? <laughs> uh, yeah, my mom is a huge fan. Um, okay. You know, again, I, 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 
I really appreciate what she instilled in me at, at an early age. Um, you know, we just, we didn't have soda in the house. We didn't have unhealthy food for the most part. Um, and she just like kind of set the tone at a very early age that you need to treat your, your body like, um, you know, like I, I, you know, you just, you, you need to really focus on like what you put in your body in order to be able to get the best output. Uh, and so I just kind of lived that lifestyle in a sense where, um, I want what I'm creating in my product to be a reflection of what I put into my body. Um, and I, I think we did a really good job thus far with, uh, our nutritional panel and our ingredients list. Awesome. Okay. So shifting into our lightning round. Um, so just like quick questions, quick answers. Cool. Favorite omni-channel brand? Ooh, Olipop is definitely up there for me right now. Yeah, they're they're an awesome brand. Thing you wish you could change about our industry? <laughs> oh man, that that's like a whole nother podcast. Are you kidding? Uh, founder empathy. And what do you mean by that? I think it's difficult for people that aren't operators to understand what it's like on a day to day basis for us to be able to kind of get up and do what we do every day. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's there's just a disconnect in terms of like the understanding of being an operator and somebody who's not. Totally. Favorite podcast? Uh, yours, of course. No. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, favorite newsletter? Uh, Morning Brew. Mm, yes. Favorite I'm an social reader. media? Uh, favorite social media channel? I've actually gone pretty heavy into Substack right now. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading of articles and, uh, I mean, I always do a lot of reading of articles. I don't really get enough time to read books, but there's really good, um, information and just really good reading on that platform. Cool. And you find also for the business, like super valuable. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely people that are, yeah, there's definitely readers or writers on there that are more specific to the industry, but there's just also just a lot of really interesting thought provoking, uh, material. Uh, favorite book. Uh, I just finished Shoe Dog. Um, also after I saw the movie Air, so I definitely am leaning towards that. Cool. Um, and then event that you're most excited about this year? Oh, Expo East! I get to wear my big fluffy uh, purple jacket. Oh, I'll have to. I'll have to see that. I mean, you might see our giant <laughs> QR code, man. So, um, Dylan, thank you so much. Where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, you can just hit search my name. I'll pop up pretty easily, I'd imagine. Uh, and then obviously, uh, follow Chubby Snacks on all platforms. We're typically one word. Sometimes you'll see us with an underscore in between. Awesome. Well, I will be following and Dylan really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you liked this podcast, follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.